G'day, g'day. This is Rita Joyan, and welcome to the Unbox Your Gift podcast. I've got a real treat for you guys today. The guest that I've got with me is someone pretty much of a hotshot in the learning and development space in corporate America, corporate Australia. Let me give you a bit of a background. John Christensen was visiting Seattle. He was a documentary filmmaker and decided to go to the Pike Place fish market in Seattle. And what he found was people were tossing fish. Like, so so it's, a, it's a fish market. And in the cold, wet weather, these fishmongers are throwing fish at each other. They are engaging customers in the marketplace. He, as a documentary filmmaker, he was seeing things that he had never seen before about people getting excited about fish. And it was all because of these fishmongers injecting so much play, so much happiness without force, without pretentiousness just simply being themselves and this documentary filmmaker got an idea of what if I film them and then what if I created training programs from them now this is really a passion to profession journey because everyone who's walking past this fish market in Seattle is just seeing people a bunch of guys throwing fish engaging the customers and quite frankly selling a lot of fish Yet John sees something completely different. He sees a documentary to be made and he sees how that documentary can impact thousands of people in corporate America, Australia and many other countries. And I know that firsthand because I used to teach what's now called the fish philosophy in a big media conglomerate. One of my first jobs uh, out of university. And so I bring to you John Christensen today because this is really a story. If ever you've wanted to start your own thing, your own gig, but you wanted to do it uniquely, this is what John has done. Everyone else that walked past that fish market just saw it as a fish market. But how do you not see with just your sight? How do you see with insight? And this is an exceptional interview with John because I've wanted to have, have him on the podcast for at least a couple of years and finally was able to get, um, get in contact, get him on the podcast, and for him to share with you the journey of how just a, a good old trip to the fish market turned into a documentary called Fish, turned into a training program for corporates around the world called The Fish Philosophy, and how it changed and impacted a lot of people's lives in the corporate space, and how he was able to do that and still continues to do that to this very day. You're in for a huge treat. Enjoy it, guys. Let me know your thoughts to the podcast. And without further ado, here's John. John, welcome to the podcast. I told you before I hit record that I'm such a huge fan of your work. I used to train fish for a big media conglomerate here in Australia. It was one of my first jobs out of uni. And having you here has been a two-year, uh, I guess, labour of love to try and just access you to, for firstly. And then for, when, to my surprise, when you answered the email and you said you would come on, I'm over the moon ecstatic because most people are fans of, I don't know, singers or movie stars. I'm a fan of your work. <laughs> I mean that in a genuine sense. Now, I know you're in Minnesota right now. Yes. We here in Australia had some pretty harsh lockdowns. How are the lockdowns going where you are? 
uh, so far right now, they've been pretty slight. Actually, they're even lifting the mask mandate on airplanes, which I don't think is a wise idea yet. But mm. so we're pretty loose right now in the yeah. United States. So, so and now, just Minnesota, please excuse me. That's in the I think that's in the West Coast. Is that? Nope. Central, Central. Central United States upper. We're touching Canada. Okay. Oh, Lake, wow. Lake okay. Superior. So the Great Lakes. So we're the last lake right in the middle of the country. Goes straight up the middle. Fabulous. And fabulous. And you've always lived in Minnesota? Well, I was born and raised, I was born in Omaha, Nebraska, which is smack dab in the middle of the country. Oh, and then right. we moved here. Then we moved to Minneapolis. But that that was, I was eight years old. So. Oh, okay. Seven, so. <laughs> it's only a few years this ago. is home this is home <laughs> so john i i really want to dive into fish and for those who are listening who don't know what fish is fish is a philosophy that was for in my exposure to it was in corporate i was taught fish about how to have a better attitude how to play how to be present uh and that was all through this training program called fish so you have, and just so before I even go into that, can you take me back into how this all emerged? How did FISH come to, to be as a documentary first and then into a training program for corporations? Well, do you want to go back to history, history of how I became a filmmaker or do you want to do FISH first? Let's do a history of how you became a film. I think that'd be very interesting. Okay, so the, the quick history, but it's going to be a nice fun story. <laughs> is the fact that my dad was a filmmaker yeah so and i'm an only son so i'm an only child to my mom and my dad and my dad was a documentary film filmmaker now interesting how we got into documentary films it's really a fun story i'll make it short no 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 it's all good he he was in advertising he and a business partner were advertisers and my dad was the was the animator there was an animator who did the cartoons and my dad was in the back room clicking the camera one frame at a time with the cells of the of the animation and he was getting tired of doing that and he wanted to be innovative so he was contemplating on being a filmmaker a documentary filmmaker and interesting lo and behold this was in the mid 60s and this church where my mom was a social worker at and my dad had grown up in this church in omaha nebraska this was in the middle of the 60s where the turmoil, the African-American turmoil in America, the civil rights movement. And lo and behold, a filmmaker came from New York to make a film in that church that my parents were at. And my dad befriended the filmmaker making that film. And actually, my dad became a central character of that film. And it's quite incredible that his mentor mentored him all the rest of his career of making films and that film went on it's called the time for burning that was in the 60s a time for burning and it went on to uh get it uh, nominated for an academy award in 1965 wow 1865 yeah 1965. 1965. Uh, and the fun part was that the fact that here was my dad wanting to make films and then got mentored by a wonderful filmmaker named Bill Jersey. So that's how my dad got into the documentary film business was saying he followed this artist and this other artist mentored him. And then I was mentored
Do you think so, it's necessary? Sorry, John, to cut you. Do you think no it's problem. necessary to be mentored as a documentary filmmaker? Well, I think it really helps in any art, right? I mean, you could be a, a sword maker. I, I've known one of the fishmongers' dad was a sword maker, and his son, and one of the fishmongers went on to try and be a sword, you know, an artist, a swords for the movies maker. So he was mentored. He mentored his dad, mentored him. So, yes, I think art should be mentored. There's, you know, Andy Warhol mentored a lot of artists in his time. So. Wow. I think that's the beautiful way. And I think we've lost that art in some respects mm. of mentoring. I think it's very important in all the arts and, and in business to be mentored. You know, mm -hmm. now we call it coaching. You pay for it, right? Yes. But yes. You know, the arts, even, even in the, you know, now and nowadays we're, we're missing bricklayers and, and ceramic tile layers and good plumbers. Th mm -hmm. Those are all, in some respects, an art too that people need to learn. So, yes, I believe mentorship is a wonderful, powerful thing in the arts. But I think the way you've just said that, that it's now called coaching, even when it's coaching and you pay for it, it's not even a one on one interaction. It's more of a whole group of people who are putting put in a group of like a sardines, and there's one teacher, and everyone's got a, is am I doing the right thing? And you're not getting that same interaction that you would have or your father would have. Right. In, in, even though the, the art is lost, so too is the is the interaction of the real mentor is actually lost as well. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Well, interesting in my mentorship, there was a lot of sink or swim mm, <laughs> right. by my dad. I mean, we were back back in the day. Now, here's the other history. My you've heard the word paradigms. Mm -hmm, you've heard the word paradigms. I truly, I truly believe that it was my father and a and a futurist named Joel Barker that took that word from science and brought it into the business vernacular. They made a film about it in 1982, way before the world was understanding what these shifts were, what mm -hmm. a paradigm shift was. Mm -hmm. So they made the film in 82. We remade it in 89. And then we found the two things. We found the market, American Society of Trainers and Developers, which was everybody in the training and HR business worldwide and VHS came out before it, we shot it in 16 millimeter film and it was, you know, distributed through 16 millimeter film, which not everybody had a film projector, mm. but then the VHS came out and then it took off. So okay. it was the number one business film in the world at the time in the, in the nineties. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, I stand on my shoulder of my father. So that's, we went around the world. So the interesting thing was that film showed paradigm shifts in real stories, documentary style, but taking a host and then taking them to the real places. For instance, we went to Xerox. The Xerox machine was Chester Carlson invented this machine that was a little red box that he took around and flashed a light and a little bit of powder on this paper and blew off the paper and showed an image that was a, a copy of an image that was on the machine. Well, he went around to try and sell that to everybody. Even Kodak turned him down. And so we told the story in the first film, but in the second film, when we reshot it, we had the box that Chester Carlson used to right. show the world trying to sell his idea. Nice. And irony, he created Xerox right across the street from Kodak in Rochester, New York, saying, 
take this, you know? <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing. So let me take you back to the fact that your father mentored you to become a film right. documentary filmmaker. And then what happens? Well, then, you know, going around the world and making films, these, these paradigm films of understanding what paradigms were and paradigm shifts all around the world with my father. And then I made the last paradigm film I directed it and produced it and, and went around the world and shot that film. And so got my feet wet that way, but that was still in his toolage. I mean, it was still, when I edited it, he was overlooking my shoulder and that point. So that desire, that burning desire of an artist to say to your master, you know, the master, the artist, mm. and as a son wanting to prove to their father that they've made it, I wanted to make a film on my own. So I wanted to make, so I had this burning desire. I actually had this huge intention. Now that's a big one, an intention to make a film that changed the world. I, I really wanted to make a film that changed people's hearts. Yeah. So in time of contemplation and meditation, I came up with this idea of making a film with people doing their work with passion. Mm. So I wanted to see this, this, this piece of art of saying it just wasn't it wasn't just artists doing their work see that's the interesting thing that the, I wanted to see people at work doing it now there's a film that came out in 1984 I believe Flashdance it was a film called Flashdance it's about a young girl who wants to become a professional dancer but a lot of scenes of her wanting to become a master dancer but there's a really wild scene in there that's a traffic officer dancing to his job he's dancing he's directing traffic he's in his full police uniform white gloves whistle blowing and even moving his feet to direct traffic now i said if a traffic officer can do that to his job in the great outdoors of cold and winter in pittsburgh pennsylvania i need to find a place that has people doing their work with passion so that was my intention right and and I, that image from 1984 stuck in my head. But then when I was looking at doing films, I looked at uh, Nordstrom's is a big shopping, you know, uh, a big uh, department store here in America. And they were known for customer service. But again, that was the go-to, you know, that was, was go-to. Everybody knew they had customer service. They didn't, the, the big story of Nordstrom's was they returned a pair of snow tires and they didn't sell tires. I mean, that's how much customer service wow. legend they were, right? Yeah. So I had the idea of doing a film with them, but then said, it's not unique enough. Yeah. Wow. So in the search for my place to find this people doing work with passion, I came across, my associate and I came across a, a poet now, an English-Irish poet who lives in America who brought poetry, his poetry, Robert Frost's poetry, to oh, corporate America. Wow! Wow! So, like, this is incredible. I mean, you know, he's talking about spirit and soul and heart in your work. In corporate his, America? <laughs> in corporate America. And... And he was making a decent living, let me tell you. Well, one, he's a handsome English-Irish poet. So I dare you to challenge that, you know, has this nice Irish accent and, you know, mm -hmm. handsome guy. So uh, he had that going for him. But he brought this incredible vibe to the table of, of he wouldn't even prepare his speeches. He would actually go in and feel the, the energy of the crowd 
And then the poem would come to him. It would speak to him. Yeah. Now he, he says this wonderful line that we have in the book too, in, in our fish book. It says that we spend more time in our places of work and in, in more time at work than we do in the great outdoors, our places of worship or with our friends or family. What a shame it is that we spend, we, we use our life's energy if we work in a place that's not giving us that mm -hmm. energy that is draining us. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so, so I spent three days literally in the woods, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the woods with David White reciting, having videoing him, filming him reciting poems, his poems, Beowulf, uh, uh, um, Two Tramps in Mudtown from, from uh, I forget the poet's name, that's terrible, that's terrible. <laughs> I was in a farm, we were in the mud, on a farm across the street from his beautiful house. Wow. Now he lived on an island just north of Seattle called Woodby Island mm. and spent these days in the woods and having tea at three o'clock in the great outdoors with him. And then discussing this about wholeheartedness. And then Friday night, I left the island and went to Seattle to stay overnight to go Saturday to see Seattle. And that's when it happened. So I asked the front desk, I said, where do you go see the sights and sounds of Seattle? And they said, oh, you've got to go to Pike Place Market. So off I went down to Pike Place Market. And it's an open air farmer's market. It's been there for almost 100 years, I'm sure. And, and I went through that. And there's vegetable vendors and beautiful flower vendors. I mean, big bouquets for $20 that would be here in Minneapolis would cost you $100. And a, and a gentleman roasting fresh nuts so the smells are wafting and beautiful vegetable stands that are, you know, I mean, beautiful colors and all the shapes are, you know, they go from larger to smaller. And it was this magnificent place. And then there's a street performers there. There's musicians. There's a guy rolling his piano down the street, you know, with wheels and playing the piano. And I heard this laughter in the distance and I was drawn to it. I mean, I thought, oh gosh, there must be a good comedian or juggler or something down there. So as I got closer, that got louder and louder. And then I came to the crowd and there was about a hundred people standing around watching. I thought, again, let me sneak my way through the crowd. And lo and behold, it wasn't a street performer. It was a bunch of guys working. Now it was the fish market and these guys were throwing fish and catching them one-handed. And they were putting a customer in the front and throwing the fish over their head and they you know, would just whiz their head and people are screaming and yelling and having this great time. And then they're saying, Hey, with the crowd, please move in. We need to not block the aisle, please come in. And I'm watching this and being fascinated that we're watching guys selling fish. Mm. But then there's two scenes that happened that were just incredible actually many scenes, but the other scene was they were yelling and screaming to, customers across the street going, Hey, Larry, you know, pick up your fish on the way home. I've got your package for you. And one guy named bear was literally giving bear hugs to mm -hmm. customers. I mean, hugging customers. And, and <laughs> they were, I mean, I mean, you know, with COVID that would <laughs> freak you out now, but, but a fishmonger hugging a customer. Yeah. And then I saw a beautiful scene that was just incredible that, that just hit me. So one of the fishmongers named Sean, the redhead, I call him the crazy redhead in the film. 
they have live crawdads or crawfish, you know, little, little lobsters. Mm -hmm. And he went over to a little boy and tried to attach the little, you know, crawdad to the little boy's jacket. Pardon me. The little boy screamed bloody murder. Just, oh my God, ah, starts crying, runs to his mom, holds his mom's leg. Sean sees this, puts the crawdad back in the bucket, literally crawls on his hands and knees in his orange rubber, you know, fishing pants looks the little boy in the eye and goes, oh, I'm so sorry I scared you. Can I have a hug? And the little boy, you can just see it in the little boy's eyes, just, <sighs> he stopped crying and gave Sean a hug. I'm like, wow, wow. Go back Monday, I'm in Minneapolis here. My five-year-old daughter, at the time has terrible asthma attacks. We're, we're up at night nebulizing her. We're afraid of her, her health. She's afraid she can't breathe. We go to the doctor's office. We get the clicking sound of the receptionist, doesn't even look at us, sits us in a seat. They come over, the nurse brings us into the room, wax my kid on the scale with the tape measuring or height, puts her on the cold sterile room uh, bench. Mm -hmm. And then the doctor comes in, says, ah, does the little thing checks her you know with a stethoscope checks her breathing says well let's you know upper nebulizers and let's try some other little drug and let's do it and he walks out compare that to mm. i'm so sorry i scared you can i have a hug to a fishmonger i saw more care in a fishmonger than i did in a healthcare provider so it really begged the question, where did the care in health care go? Mm -hmm. But then that was the scene that nailed it for me of saying, there was my aha moment, you know, the sky, we, you know, there's the, the, the <laughs> clear amber of light that comes through the clouds. It right? does happen. That does happen. <laughs> ah, it's that moment. And it was like, oh my gosh, here's my place. Here's that place I've been looking for with the people doing passion. They were wholehearted. They were connected to their customers. There's magic happening here. So I got the guts up to ask Sean. And then Sean says this beautiful thing. He just, I said, Sean, what's going on here? And he goes, what's going on? Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. He said, did you have lunch today? I said, yes. And he said, well, did the waiter or waitress connect with you? I said, yeah, kind of. He says, yeah, they were probably nice, gave you your service, gave you the check, said, thank you very much, have a good day, and walked away. I said, yeah, that was, that was about it. He looks right at me and says, this is yours and my moment. How can I serve you? He literally put his hands up like this. Wow. Says, this is yours and my moment. Forget everything else around us. This is you and me right now. How can I serve you? I was like that, that, I mean, that's it. <laughs> that, okay, where, where do I bring the cameras? Come on. <laughs> cameras back friends? in the hotel room. Can I come down now? You know, Can I, uh, but I, I finally got the guts up to ask Sean and Sean gave me the owner's name, Johnny Yokoyama. I called Johnny. I got it, got it going. He said, yes, please come. And literally a couple months, three months, four months later, we came out with a crew and we started filming. Now here's the fun other piece. Started filming at 6.30 in the morning and two things. One, I started filming and the guy said, what took you so long? 
<laughs> what took me so long? They said, we had the intention of having a film made about us years ago. What took you so long to get uh... here? So my intention with their intention, but they wanted a theatrical, you know, a big <laughs> Hollywood show, but they got a nice documentary. <laughs> okay. they got a brilliant documentary out of it. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, that's the whole beginning story of fish. So again, I shot with a film crew. There was a cameraman, a sound person, the producer and myself asking. So I was directing, asking questions. And then we did Thursday, Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with the big camera. And then Saturday, I had a little handheld uh, nice. consumer back, you know, and yeah. I filmed it in 1997. Okay. Wow. And I had a little consumer camera, mm -hmm. which it, the two of the big scenes in the film came from that because it was intimate. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the big camera and the microphone and the crew and the lights. It was just me and the guys. And I, my aha moment is there's a scene in the film where it's aha, I've got it. Mm -hmm. One of the stars of the film, Justin, goes, I've got it. Mm -hmm. And that was because it was this one on one, the true documentary piece of going, I was one with them. Mm. There wasn't all this other stuff going on. And we just got intimate that way. So that's a, a piece of if people are listening and filmmaking, it's mm. Being that intimate, you know, it's amazing. Again, going way back to the time when my dad was in being filmed. I mean, that was in a critical time. And here's a cameraman and a sound person running around in people's faces when, when there was that turmoil. I mean, people were really getting in each other's faces of saying, how could you treat us this way? What, you know... Uh, what does our religion say? Your religion, we're both Christians, that kind of thing. But the documentary film got in there. Yeah. I mean, you, you forget the camera guys there because they become one with you. So and that's, you, that's the focus of documentary making, to allow the, the people who you're documenting to completely relinquish all awareness of cameras or, or sound or equipment or anything and just be in the moment. That's a skill that yeah. I think that's... Prof is there any tips on how to create that or how to have that happen? Well, you know, you just have to do it. And, you know, every subject has a different feel to it, right? Mm. You know, there's some people that get used to it and some people that don't, you know, there's, uh, I, we just interviewed some school in Idaho and, you know, and some kids just sit there and they can't say anything and they just, the camera frightens them versus others are just laughing and giggling at the camera and, you know, the intimacy of, how you connect with them. So okay. it takes time. There's actually a gentleman here in Minneapolis that is now teaching how to interview people in documentary style. He made beautiful films. I mean, heartfelt, soulful films about the soul of a human being. And when he did this interview and he actually is making a decent, a great living teaching people how to interview, oh. how to get that intimate intimacy of that one-on-one -on -one interview. I mean, he pulls out, he's got one film that's absolutely stunning. It's, it's a mime. Mm. It's a mime talking to the camera in full mime, talking to the camera about how we, how all of us maybe hide behind our masks. Wow. I mean, it was like, wow. What's, I mean, he's in France with the mime, you know? Yeah. What? What's his name? Uh, uh, the, the name of the 
website is soulbiographies.com soul biographies but i mean they're so intimate they are i mean i'm learning from him i mean i want to i want to get that i want to get that intimate when we talk to people about the soulfulness of this, you know? Fantastic, fantastic. You know, when you were there at the fish markets, uh, the pike fish market, and Bear came up to you and said, hey, how can I serve you one-on-one? -on -one? Just what do you need right. from me? Did you think to yourself, well, who's training them? Did you think, apart from the document, let's document this, did you think, what training are you guys getting? This is uh, outstanding. Right, right. Well, yeah. And it was Sean who did that. Bear was the bear hunter. Oh, sorry, yes. Sean was, Sean was my guy that got me intrigued. But um, you're right. But I was also intrigued. There was that fun and that wholeheartedness, mm -hmm. which, which strangely, I, I named it years ago. But and remember Harry Met Sally, the movie mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at all? You remember that? There's a yep. scene in there where I want what she's having. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. So I had that moment at the fish market when I was standing there as a tourist going, I want what they have. Mm -hmm. I really want this intimacy with my with my job, mm -hmm. with this fun, this creativity that's going on here, this this incredible wholeheartedness of what they're doing. I mean, I really wanted that. So yeah. that's another piece of, of the puzzle of saying, hey, if I wanted it. As in, in my job and, you know, I get to work, I'm lucky I get to work inside of an air-conditioned and heated building hmm. they're in the outdoors it's cold in seattle in the spring and in winter time right and it's hot in the summertime and they're wearing rubber boots and rubber pants and sweatshirts yeah. so and have their hands in ice and dead fish all day so if they <laughs> can have this connection to their work why can't we I love that. I love that. And so did you ever ask the owner of the Pike Place, do you have a special training? Like, do you take them through induction? Well, they, they, they did. They did. did. And, yeah. and they, they found a coach who coached them for more than 26 years on the art of being. It's really about teaching people about being present, right? Okay. It's the whole art of being. It's almost, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's mm -hmm. about being present. So, wow. so again, that's the next uh, next distinction I want to make is that these guys were talking about making people's day. I saw them being present with customers. They were playing like they even yell in the film. We're playing. We're not like working. We're playing. Yeah. But they didn't speak that language. That was the outcome of what they were doing, of how they were being, how they were showing up. I mean, here's the thing, who are you being while you're doing what you're doing? So if it's anything that they were teaching each other, it was how are you being? Mm. How are you showing up in the world? Now, here's the cool, here's the cool piece. What they were doing was being world famous. Yes, yes. Now, if you put it in the context of saying, what am I doing to be world famous? I'm a little fish market. Mm. It's 1200 square feet. 1200 square feet is their whole world in that fish market yeah. okay only 1200 square feet and how are we as 13 14 guys going to be world famous so they show up in a different way that's how they became world famous we're going to give world service world-class service we're going to treat people with love and care and respect and we're going to treat each other that way although it doesn't always come off that way right yeah, yeah. that's where they have to coach each other mm. because 
you know, you're going to be, they're kind of like brothers. They're kind of like brothers in arms. They're kind of like, kind of like uh, military in that respects. Mm. I mean, there's a, there's a brotherhood. So do and, they still operate to this day? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Actually, two of the original, two of the guys in the original film and two more from the one from the second film and one that just came in to work there about three or years ago or four years ago, bought the place from Johnny. Johnny's now in his eighties. They bought the, they bought the fish market. So it is still, it's the next generation. So. Wow. Brilliant. So when you had um, John to take you back, you had producers, you had a sound guy, you had, um, you yourself were directing. Were you also right. doing the camera work as well? I did the camera work on the Saturday with the little camera. The little camera. So yes. Yeah. And so I was doing camera and sound on Saturday. So it was a it was a cameraman, a sound man, and then a field producer who was keeping the people at bay, finding the location to go, bringing the coffee to us. So I was actually this executive producer and director of it. Okay. So there was only it was only a four person crew, you know. And it only took what four, four five days to film, like all that you had. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then all day, me, Saturday. So 8, 16, 16, 32 hours of film. Film, wow. Condensed down to, I know the corporate version was like- Condensed down to 18 minutes. 18 minutes, oh my. How, okay, I'm from so, filmmaker to so filmmaker. So this will blow everybody's mind. Now there's a happy medium, oh. truly. <laughs> Everybody out there who's an artist and in oh. the art world, there's a happy medium. Every day, news broadcast, create three news broadcasts, six noon and six, well, 6 a.m., 6 p.m. and 10 p.m., right? Yeah, yeah, and they get, yeah. they get news shows out three times a day, okay? Yeah, yeah. That's the extreme. Mine's the other extreme. We <laughs> took a year to, to edit it and to produce it. Oh, my God. Because we wanted to distill it down. Again, here's the other interesting thing we were like anthropologists studying the culture this 32 36 hours of footage of saying how do we amalgamate what they're saying and put a language to it so my team editor and a couple and some staff members and i would sit there and watch and say we really love these scenes so you know we we strung it together so we'd have an hour and a half and then we get it down to hour and 10 minutes and then we get it down to an hour then we get it down to 40 minutes you know 38 wow. minutes and you just keep on cutting it but then was also trying to find out what the language was yeah. because again they were saying these things but they weren't if you'd sat in on their meetings they weren't saying well how are we going to make more people's day to day right mm -hmm. they're not going to say how can we be more playful mm -hmm. now we we created Charthouse Learning and our team at Charthouse created that language, the fish philosophy language. We, we were like an anthropologist, Margaret Mead, who studied, you know, cultures, ancient cultures, and put a language to what they were doing. So I give kudos to our crew that we put the language and created the fish philosophy out of what was happening on the shop floor. Oh my God, I just can't, I, editing in filmmaking, I love filmmaking, I find editing the most tedious part of the, it's the most important, one of the most important, right. obviously, but a year of editing, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's like. No, that's why I said there's an extreme, 
I mean, I went the I went to the perfectionist extreme, right? And, and then it, it was it paid off. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was also creating the artwork and the cutesy language of it, the 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 fun that we had. I mean, we we were being playful with it because again, in the genre of business films, they were boring. They were, yes. you know, yeah. and we, you know, we had this, you know when when one of our characters had a pinched nerve and he's sitting there talking and he's in pain we point out he's got an actual oh, pinched nerve yeah. you know yeah. uh the fun beginning you know hey how to have the how to live this way in your business with 32 steps yeah. <laughs> just kidding uh how about four you know i remember that i do remember that so at what point did you think i'm going to be able to, i could create this into a corporate training program was that during filming? Was that before the aha, in that aha moment? Well, that was the aha moment. I mean, that was the intention. I see, I was standing on the shoulders of our company was by the fact that our company sold to businesses, right? Okay. Okay. The Paradigm film sold the corporate oh, businesses. Okay. Right. So we had an audience. We had this audience of, of trainers and HR directors. So, and, but... But again, at first, I thought I had a great customer service film, right? Mm -hmm. It was it was going to turn turn the retail business on its head, you mm -hmm. know, of saying, look, at, if you can, if you can serve your customers in this manner, wholeheartedly connected to them, having fun, being being there for them, excuse me, think of what great customer service you can have. And then it then when we released it, this is the interesting thing. This is truly interesting. You're saying the evolution. So I thought I had a great customer service film. I knew I, again, my big intention was to have a film that made a difference, right? That really helped people yeah. get an understanding of their lives. So thinking about that and saying, what can transpire? These fishmongers' lives have been changed. They have a better way of going to work. They're engaged in their work. They're happy. Yeah. right they're they're engaged employees so when the film came out because of our corporate entity we gave a discount to education because mm -hmm. of the paradigm films education you know couldn't afford the thousand dollars so we gave a discount to them well interesting education loved fish it's like wait a minute it's about customer service mm -hmm. but they said no 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 you have to understand it's about showing up it's about how to live your life and teachers and educators ran to it they just dove into it and so i studied that and saying if most of our clientele was education i need to do something about that so i looked into it and that's our first step into building curriculum building building guides to help educators to see how to utilize the film in their schools as a whole school but then how to break it down into then we got into the classroom but how we got into the classroom was very fascinating i i hired a curriculum development person and we made this whole curriculum brought it to a big education show and this one teacher walked by she's just walking by and goes oh my god fish i love fish you go you do yes i do I said, tell me. And she starts explaining that she was a third grade teacher and how she engaged her students with it was so simple and beautiful that I, and we were in Washington, D.C. in an education thing. Remember, we're in Minneapolis. We're at a Washington, D.C. education conference. I asked her, hey, 
are you, you know, can you take a, this summer? Can I hire you? And, you know, you work for us. And she goes, oh, I'm taking a year off sabbatical. And I go, well, where do you live? She goes, Rochester, Minnesota, which was 45 minutes from our office. I go, brilliant, brilliant. Come work with us this summer. She goes, the summer? She came and worked for three years with us. No, wow. And she, she had this simplicity. This is really simple, but beautiful. Mm. She sat with her kids and drew a picture of a, of a fish bones, you know, a head of a fish and then the, the line and then a tail of the tail of a fish over here, right? Mm -hmm. And then the bones. And she asked the kids, they co-created the classroom together of saying what behaviors aren't acceptable in our classroom? Hitting. So the kids would say hitting, screaming, spitting, cheating, name calling. And you'd, she'd write those words on the, on the bones of the fish. And mm -hmm. she'd say, now those are stinky fish behaviors and we don't want those, right? Yeah. Right. Then she took out another piece of paper and drew a playing field, like a soccer field and said, what things do we want? How do we want to treat each other? kindness, love, care, you know, help each other. And she wrote those words on another paper and she hung them up in the front of the room. What a brilliant way of co-creating the classroom. Just a beautiful way of doing it. And then that, is that what you incorporate in the curriculum for the education? So then we, I, all that curriculum, I spent all that time making all this curriculum and designers and everything. I threw that out, had yeah. the designers redo the simplicity of yeah. what she did and based it off of that and, and exercises and music. And, and so we have different, you know, age groups, appropriate age groups and, and, and curriculum for those age groups, K through two, three through five, six through eight and nine through 12. Amazing. And did you just, just in terms of if you were to go back and do all this, would you say, because they say in business, before you launch a product, just go test it, test it with the market before you put time, yeah. love and energy. Would you say you would have done that in the word go, so it would have saved your time with the designer and the curriculum and doing all of that? Well, I mean, we had a basis there, you know, I mean, so it was still good stuff, but this simplicity that she brought to it and, and clarified it really gave the backbone to it okay. so we still had all the good material that we had done added to it okay. but it was just the simplicity of it that it you can start more simple than being more complicated because curriculum people phds and education want to hear themselves talk right so <laughs> How proud was professors. Your dad. <laughs> that's right. That's right. How proud was your dad to know that you didn't just make it, you completely lived up to the intention, which was to add such immense value and to make something of, of, of worth. Well, it's interesting. Um, father, son working together, the tension. And, yeah. and my dad, my dad, I I loved him, but we had a tenuous relationship by the fact that he was a, a I, I mean this with love, but a mm. tormented artist. Mm. He, him and his best friend were, were tormented artists. His best friend was a, a pastor, but he was a poet and a writer and an artist. And, and, and he could tell stories. So my dad and this Herb, his best buddy, they were, they were tormented artists by the fact that the perfectionism, nothing was ever good enough. Mm. You, know, you could still work on it and make it better. And uh, I mean, he was proud of me. I heard through the grapevine of people 
you know, saying your dad, every time we get together, just can't stop talking about how happy he is and proud of you. Wow. But I never, I never felt that, unfortunately. I mean, to the day he passed away, it was always, it can be good or it can be, you know, it can be, you can do better. You can improve it. You can do more. But then the other piece was, it was sad, but again, artist to artist that, uh, his his paradigm film was phenomenal i mean it it broke all records in business films but ours the fish film outshined his yeah so there was a little unfortunate jealousy in that but but uh again i found out through other people you know friends of the family that every time we got together your dad said how proud he was of you (laughs) Mm. but i also think that's nice to hear it was the generation of the time. Would you say that, John? Who no. didn't really, yeah. you know, there was a disconnect just because that's just the way it, it was just uh, for them that was normal. Nowadays, everyone's so much more open and vulnerable There's and another, it yeah. out. There's an extreme. Yeah, yes, exactly. exactly. Everybody's a winner. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> we all get gold medals. We all get a trophy for playing soccer. Nobody loses. Okay, there's there's a there's a happy medium between that and yeah well you know it's not good enough kid you know yeah Yeah, exactly exactly how did fish i mean obviously you were looking for something that would have meaning i wonder how fish changed you because i saw a talk of yours that you went on stage and one of the things you said to the audience is you know first off i'm not colorblind and that was because (laughs) you're wearing an orange shirt with with orange orange socks and a blue jacket i think it was yep now that would not have been the case i mean how much did fish and this work change or in you know give you a different perspective well it gave me a different perspective but i i had that color problem before, oh, you- <laughs> before. <laughs> well i mean uh, i just i'm not i'm not trying to promote but i mean yeah, i yeah. yes i, had, oh, I love I it color, i love it i had this color thing going mm-hmm. you know i love I mean, that that was you the color arrangement is all you yeah i mean oh. i'm the one that pushed people i, I mean it. well here I mean, here was where I wanted to go with the fish book, the original one, but that's the, that's the second book. I mean, the fish, the first book, they tamed it down to this, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so but- yeah, so they, the, des, you know, I designed it and then the, the publishers designers took it down a notch and then I, I had to get, okay, okay, we can, you know, <laughs> neutralize it. Okay. Did you okay. Fund, your, fund it all, John? Excuse me? Did you fund all of this, like the documentary, the books, getting it? No, I funded the documentary and we funded the trainings and mm-hmm. the, all the curriculum, but uh, we were blessed. There's a fun story on the on the book. Mm-hmm. Can I explain that one? Yeah, sure. So an associate of mine who I brought on, Steve Lindeen, he is a doctorate in organizational development, organizational psychology. And so he was on the staff and it was another piece of this was when I wanted to go make the fish film, my father was like, what are you crazy? I mean, a a fish market. So Steve, I give Steve credit by the fact that he held my dad at bay and said, let John go do this. You know, I, I, I bet the farm on this though, a little bit, you know, by the fact that, uh, it was a big risk, you know? I mean, there was, it was a time of turmoil in our business. We were, the Paradigm series had lived a long life 
and we had gone through a little bit of a turmoil in our organization. So, so fish became sort of the Phoenix also coming out of the ashes. So it was a, and Steve protected me and said, please go do that. And I'll hold your dad at bay. So there was a little bit of protectiveness on that. So Steve encouraged me to go film the film. And then Steve was a magnificent uh, partner with me in creating the language of the, of the fish philosophy. So, so then Steve had this idea, let's write a book. So we went back out to Seattle, created the characters. We went and walked the, the streets of Seattle and created where our main character, Mary Jane, can walk and go down to work and where the, she gets to the fish market and, and all that. And so it was, it was fun to create the characters. And then Steve went and wrote the book, put the words to paper. And then we went and knocked on Ken Blanchard's door after we had the manuscript. And Ken is the one minute manager. He, he's big time in the business world. Yeah. And so we knocked on his door and said, will you co-author this with us? And he said, guys, I love it. I love what you guys are doing. Can you wait a year? And at that time, we, we had, I think, probably uh, 1,200 corporations that had bought the film. So there was this momentum going already. Yeah. We said, well, we really can't wait. We're sorry, we really can't wait. So interesting, his first lieutenant, who was his right-hand person, said, hey, guys, I missed the one-minute manager. I've been on Ken's staff for all this. I'll get Ken to, to forward the book. I'll get Ken to promote the book. I'll get Ken to promote the film and his lectures. And so Harry Paul joined us on the, on the writing of the book, on the selling of the book. And he also brought Ken Blanchard's uh, agent. Mm -hmm. So we had Ken's agent that now wanted to represent us. So then we put together the manuscript, uh, all the little chotskis. We've got little stuffed fish called Pete the Perch, mm -hmm. you know, little yep, beanie yep, babies. Yep, yep. And, and pens and magnets and t-shirts. And so I sent those off to the fish market in Seattle. They packaged it with crackers and smoked salmon and, and all the goodies in the box. And then we shipped it to the seven publishers in New York. And there was a, pardon me, feeding frenzy. <laughs> and so we got to decide who, it wasn't about the money per se. They all offered, you know, big upfront money, which was nice, but we chose the, the editor who we thought would edit the book the best and who would stand behind it the best. And that turned out to be Hyperion, which is owned by Walt Disney Company. So we were blessed by the fact that our editor was absolutely phenomenal. And so it helped get the book straightened out. And then it, we put it out in the world and it, it took off. It sure did. It sure did. Can I please ask you, I know you already had an established market to sell to corporate, but when right. it came out to Australia and it came out to corporations out here, because that's where I'm in Australia, right. how did you, did you, did you actually physically cold call? Did you go out and send like a marketing pack like you did with the fish to the publishers? Like how did you get these customers, these new breed of corporations on board to license fish? Well, again, we were lucky by the fact that the Paradigm films had been so well established that we had distributors around the world who were distributing the Paradigm films. Mm -hmm. So we had contracts with these companies. 
pardon me. And they were saying, what's next guys? What, you know, feed us, feed us. And so when fish came out, they were like, oh, another thing from chart house learning. Mm. Again, we had established that the best business film, the paradigm film and subsequently, subsequently paradigm film, a vision film and paradigm pioneers and paradigm principles. So we had four films in the series that they had already distributed to their clients and they were looking for more product. And here we, we gave them fish and then again, the feeding frenzy happened. Correct. And so, so they, the public, those houses actually took it out to other corporates and sold it on your behalf. Correct. Because they had the clients themselves that had already bought our films from the, from the past. Ah, I see. And then I some see. of, some of our worldwide distributors, some of our distributors bought the rights to the printing of the books. Oh, so, okay. So like in India, I believe they published it. So. That's amazing. And then. And then. Go ahead. No, 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 please go on. Please go on. So then when the book came out, then speaking gigs happened. Mm. So then people were saying, oh, we want to have the author come. So then that's where my two co-authors at the time, again, I had young kids. And so I wasn't, I didn't want to travel like that. And they went around the world. I mean, Singapore, uh, South Africa, Turkey, mm. uh, Dubai, all over Australia. Now, Steve, the fun part of Steve later on, Steve got a gig. He was a associate professor at Brisbane University of Brisbane. Okay. And so when Steve was there, you've seen, have you seen the Blue Care book yet? No. Okay. So Blue Care is Australian's uh, healthcare program, but it, it's a, it's a uh, aged care facilities and hospice and in-home care company wow. so he when he was down there at brisbane for two years being an associate professor he went around the circuit yeah. and spoke in australia and mm -hmm. at one of the lectures he met these two women from blue care mm -hmm. and they wanted to find out how can they make their idea of service come alive in blue care and when they heard about fish they said this is the way it can come alive individualized care is what they were going for yes. instead of just people in a nursing home and you wheel them up to the tv yeah. and they yeah. sit there all day long let's attend to them as individuals and this is what happens this book i self-published this book it's a, it's a beautiful like hardcover white paper it's yeah. really the study of what they did to make it come alive and then the stories of what happened of how it came alive so they brought it they brought fish in and changed the corporate culture but i mean one story in here is absolutely incredible there was a gentleman i didn't know i think we still had it in america too but cavalry in yeah. your military they still had the cavalry well this gentleman was in his early 80s and he had been in the cavalry and he was having alzheimer's and he was he was i guess in hospice and so somebody there again with that individualized care they learned about who he was and they found out that he was like a sergeant or something in the cavalry they went and found his horse <gasps> and they brought his horse to the oh. to the care center out in the back and wheeled him out in his wheelchair and the horse and he remembered each <gasps> other oh my lord isn't that something oh my god 
So that's individualized care. That's understanding who your clients, your patients are. So My those are the, God. you know, those are the stories that are happening up because again, made an 18 minute documentary thinking it was good customer service, had the intention of making a film that made a difference. And I'm blessed by the fact that it has done all of that. It is truly. So then after doing the speaking engagements, now we go into companies and, and want to hold their hand in the process like, like we did for Blue Care wow. of saying, how do you make it come alive? This is 10,000 employees and, and volunteers serving 100,000 clients. And we made it come alive in that organization. They made it come alive. We helped guide them, but they did the work, the heavy lifting. John, this is just, oh my God, there's no, I'm a, oh, I don't even know. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, again, go back to your intentions. You're talking to the artists and people who want to start being in business and, and build their businesses and be entrepreneurs. It's really about what do you want to do and serve and how do you serve people? You know, that silly saying, you do good and you should do good, right? Mm -hmm. You do well in the world and you'll do well. Mm. Well, I've been blessed that way. Oh, I've been God. very blessed that way. John, this has just been so incredible because here I was thinking I'm going to talk about fish and how it came out into a market in corporates. But really, in essence, the, the value that fish has had and how people are identifying how they can make a difference with a philosophy that was just you know, off the cuff experience, you know, and it truly goes back to what you were saying in our, my tradition, it, we say that actions are judged by intention. And because your intention was so pure, it, it has just spiraled, amplified, accumulated into this snowball effect that has people being affected and their heartstrings. I mean, a man whose horse has been brought out to him in his 80s, I mean, the, the amount of the, the love, the light that would have just come to him in that moment, rather than, like you say, being wheeled in front of a TV and there you go, sit right. there. That right. is, there's, there's nothing you can't, like, how right. on earth do you value? There's no amount. No, you can't. I mean, words can't express to sure. me all sure. the stories that have been touched. People's lives have been touched by it. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm oh, incredibly blessed. God almighty. Um, the other here's another fun one and i and i, and I don't mean this in in a cocky way mm. again it's that clarity of vision and the clarity of your intention there are two other film companies that were our competitors in seattle one of them walks in front of that fish market twice a week to go to the original starbucks to get coffee they did not see it It's oh. with the ability to have your eyes open to yeah. what's possible. Hmm. See, I saw what was possible. Again, having a strong intention of seeing something that was different and then seeing it and knowing that that was it and having that gut reaction of going, this is my place. This is that place where I want to make that film. Do you endeavor to create another documentary that would then become a business documentary that would go out? Is there another intention that you have to do some other body of work? Well, I, I mean, again, an artist, you, you, you want to improve your art. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, 
for years, I used this excuse. Now, forgive me, it's an excuse, truly an excuse. But I was like, well, how's James Cameron going to improve, you know, <laughs> beat Titanic, okay? I, I was blessed by the fact that Fish was the Titanic to documentaries, right? Yes, yes, yes. Well, then he goes and builds <laughs> Avatar. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. so much for that excuse. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true it's so true well I think I mean would you just to, before I let you go is there anything that you would recommend for aspiring documentary makers um I know I've been told go grab a camera and just start filming and just get that experience and get the ability to be on the field is there anything that you would add or you would take away from that yes I want I want to I want to <laughs> this is the interesting thing that my dad really put this in my head but please filmmakers Go out and make things that are positive and help the world mm -hmm. and filmmakers, period. Uh, there's this dark side of filmmaking that people want to make horror films or slash and gore films, or they want to go make a documentary about some tragedy or something. I'm going mm -hmm. like, the world needs more positive things. There's so many beautiful stories out there in the world of people. I mean, in, in the tragedy of Ukraine, I guarantee you there's beautiful stories out there that people are capturing, right? Mm -hmm. Stories of mothers and daughters and, and you know, working their way to safety, but and, and helping each other. Mm -hmm. uh, priests helping people in their community. I mean, there's there's bound to be positive stories there. I I my my beg is beg, I guess is a wrong word, but my my call to action for people that are listening of saying, make positive things, mm -hmm. go make positive stories. The world needs more positivity. Mm -hmm. We need more inspiration of inspiring us, the, the human spirit, the human soul that can soar. We need more stories out there like that. Uh, I'm incredibly blessed that, that Fish has done that, has, has helped people see that there, there's ways to create corporations that can make make a, a, a group, a community come together and help people do their best work. Mm. That's my goal with fish is saying, if we can help create, this is a, this is the a, a mission statement that I love that I want to, that I want to shout from the mountaintops. We're here to help co-create organizations that people love, love the work for, love the work with, love to be served by, love to learn from. Think of how powerful, if you could go to a place of work that you know that people care for you and you can do your best work that you're ever going to do in your life because they've created an environment where they want to uplift you. Mm. Think if we made thousands of those organizations mm. via healthcare or uh, schools, you know, yeah. schools that inspire people. Mm. 100%, 100%. And is there any advice you would give, John, for documentary makers, aspiring filmmakers, to want to dive into this corporate realm, to take what their work is and introduce it to make it a body of work of actual implementation like you have? Is there any advice you would give for that? Well, it, it, the corporate world is an interesting piece out there right now. I mean, by the fact that I, I don't mean to demean it at all, hear me. 
But when people can watch a TED talk and think they can change their culture by watching a 15 minute TED talk, mm -hmm. there's not a surrounding body. That's, that's the beauty of, of, of what we've co-created is saying we've taken it and helped people facilitate that you know, facilitation books and workbooks and books that tell stories and inspire and keep on inspiring people mm -hmm. with new stories. So it, it's the body of work needs to be inclusive. You know, it just it, the competitive world right now. I mean, we're competing with YouTube. Everybody yes. gets everything for free. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I mean, when Paradigm's heyday, you know, it was nine, it was $1,000, $999. In Fish's day, you know, it started at 550, it went to $900 in the corporate world. But it wasn't just a film. See, it was the start of a dialogue. Mm. It was the fire starter. It was the conversation starter. It was the inspiration. Mm. Now, the interesting thing also about saying, I'm going back to Fish for one second, but when when a corporation would show you this film about fishmongers playing and having a good time at work that opened up a whole different conversation what they 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 want us to play here they mm -hmm. want us to engage and have fun mm -hmm. in our work yes it it opened up i call it the the opening up of the playfulness the childlikeness not childishness but yeah. the childlikeness the sense of wonder of saying let's open up that that creativity that we had as children mm -hmm. let's unstifle the human spirit and let it release it so so i ask people out in the world if they're going to go out and make films make them inspirational please please do something inspirational tell inspirational stories find other places that are inspiring and share that with the world yeah. you know uh you can buy all the, the, you know, when we first started, we had film cameras, 16 millimeter film cameras, a roll of film was $200 processing was $200. And that gave you 50, they give you less than 15 minutes of product. So you're, you're talking, and then you had to get it to video. Yeah. <laughs> so that was another $400 an hour to transfer it from wow. video to video. Oh, so now with this little thing, yeah, yeah. A, a new iPhone that has cinematic capabilities mm -hmm. in it, you can do marvelous work with this. That's Find the stories that inspire people and share them. And on that note, John, with a heavy heart, I have to end the interview. <laughs> I don't want to, because it's been such a remarkable, such a treat, such an eye-opening conversation with you about what's happened. I swear to God, I could have gone for a lot longer, and I, I can, but yeah. I, I want to be respectful of your time. So sincerely, John, for sharing, for being opening up this space of conversation, giving us behind the scenes of what it took to launch Fish and the impact and the rippling effect it continues to have. May God continue to guide you and bless you in every endeavor moving forward. Thank you. Thank you, Rita. I feel, thank you. Thank you very much. I am very blessed and it's a blessing to the world too. I, again, I see fish as a gift. It was a gift. I was given the eyes to see it and, and the gift to give it to the rest of the world. So thank you. Mm, I, thank you. I appreciate it.
I appreciate you and I appreciate this time. And thank you, listeners and viewers. Uh, I appreciate you listening to my little humble story. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.